My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Good morning, Marion McKeown. I have to say, after living in the UK for the last 10 years, I fully get Britain's devotion to the Queen and the monarchy. I got to learn it over time. I'm not sure I fully understand America's obsession with the royals. Can you explain it to us? Well, you know, Jarlath, it's an obsession that I've had trouble with as well, because since I'm, you know, I've spent about 15 years in the States off and on, and it's something that they are completely fascinated with. But I think they see it in a way, part of it is is a sort of a continuity thing, because they cannot get how when you have an election every four years and you spend billions and billions on turfing one person out and bringing another person in, how you can have the same person as a head of state, albeit a titular head of state, for 70 years. And I think they don't understand the, the, that, it's not that they don't understand devotion to duty. Americans are phenomenal about public service. But I think it's that, um, as I say, just the, they're fascinated by the pomp and circumstance, but they're also fascinated by the soap opera aspect of it. I think this is what really gets them. It's like a, 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 an episode of, a, of, or a season of Days of Our Lives or something that has run for 70 years. And every year, uh, every week indeed, it seems there's a new scandal, there's a new divorce, there's a new affair, there's a new plot twist. And they sort of marvel at how all of this can come out of one, let's face it, not very bright family. Yeah, <laughs> and that, uh... and th- that, but, but, you know, I mean, Diana, they were absolutely transfixed by, it. and I would say Diana more than the Queen probably, and they were a little bit transfixed by Princess Margaret as well because she was so naughty. But then there was the mysteries about the Queen's marriage. They didn't quite get, I, I explained to so many people, and I am no expert, God knows, on the monarchy, the difference between you know, the separation of powers. They really didn't understand a lot and that the Queen's powers were purely ceremonial. You know, mm. that she greets the, the new prime minister. It's a formality that, in you know, in theory, if she was out on her horse or something uh, or, you know, a way that the new prime minister, you know, would probably be able to still act as prime minister, you know, while, while waiting for the Queen's nod. But they and they also were fascinated by, you know, I was going through, it's quite funny, like the number of gaffes that American presidents have made around the Queen, because mm. they just don't get the pomp and circumstance and the attention to detail and the, you know, you may remember because I certainly do the outcry and the furore when Michelle Obama 
who's a very tactile woman and very, you know, affectionate to everyone. She's a real hugger. When she put her arm affectionately around the Queen's back when they were talking in, in Buckingham Palace and everyone went nuts on both sides of the Atlantic. Now, the Republicans used it um, as a way to get a dig in at the Obamas that they were so uncouth and that they had no idea about protocol, et cetera, et cetera. But basically, the Queen responded to that in such a lovely way that she immediately put her hand, likewise, she matched Michelle Obama's gesture. So she put her arm around Michelle Obama's back as well. She didn't flinch or faint or, you know, whatever, uh, with shock. And she made it seem like a very natural thing. And with her nod, she was clearly saying, this is okay. But there were other gaffes. I mean, my favourite one was uh, when she met she went to the White House for a visit when uh, Gerald Ford, who got love him, was a very gaff-prone president anyway. Uh, and she, they had a huge ceremony for her there and it was all pomp and circumstance and everything was going well until he was leading her out on the floor uh, for the ceremonial dance in the White House and the band struck up the ladies a tramp. <laughs> oh my God. That didn't happen. <laughs> that did happen. That did happen. Lord. Uh, so... You really, you just have to laugh. And then, of course, you had um, George H.W. Bush, Bush, much less amusing, just, you know, an oversight. Uh, the Queen, he, he was a very tall man. He was at least six foot two. And he was introducing the Queen or whatever. And his aides then didn't put the microphone down, didn't adjust the lectern. So all you could see of the poor little five foot nothing Queen was this purple stripy hat. You couldn't see her head at all. It was just the oh, microphone and this, this floating hat. And, uh, you know, and, and, I mean, the, and also I think she got on well with Ronald Reagan. I think she seemed to have particularly liked the Obamas. There seemed to be a genuine warmth there. Uh, but Barack Obama also bungled a toast because he spoke over the British National Anthem when he started a toast. Minor detail, but, you know, they, they are sticklers for this kind of thing. Um, and, uh, Oh, George W. Bush, of course, Mr. Gaff himself, he did a couple of things. When he was president, he said the last time she was in the United States was in 7076, which would make her something like 230 <laughs> years old. Now, I know she lived to be a fine old age, but she wasn't 230. And then there, in 1991, when the Queen visited the White House um, during his father's administration, um, you know, he was, George W. Bush, he was kind of funny in that frat boy, smart alecky kind of way, but he was wearing a pair of cowboy boots because he always wore cowboy boots with his, you know, his dinner suits. It was a thing that he did. And the Queen asked him what they said. And they, of course, said Texas Rangers, who was commissioner of the Texas Rangers at the time. But he said that his boots said, God save the Queen on them. Which, which was actually quite witty and quite funny, um, a response. And then she said to him, oh, are you the black sheep of your family? And um, he said, yes, I am. And he said, and which of your children is the black sheep of yours? Oh and <laughs> well, like, take your pick. You know? yeah. <laughs> I wonder so, what the actual response was because well, she, really does, she is spoiled for Joyce there. Apparently, Barbara Bush just but in immediately said, Your Majesty, don't answer that. There's no need to answer that question. I'll take care of him later. You know, I'll, I'll, basically, I'll, I'll send him to the woodshed for you. Don't worry. So there, there, there was, um, and you know, I, I think it's not, it's, it's a shame because it's, it almost seems, I think that the um, Trump visit was the least successful. Um, clearly because oh nobody had any yeah. inclination to meet him, but also he was so... He walked in front of the Queen when oh. they were doing the the um, 
the, the inspection of the garden, all that. Now, you know, the thing is that it's, it's not that when they were strolling around Windsor Castle, it's not just that it was the Queen. The way that he strode in front for a big strapping six foot whatever guy to like basically almost shove her out of the way, like this small five foot, as I said, knocking woman. Like it wasn't just that she was the queen that he seemed to show disrespect and lack of protocol. It was for any woman, any elderly woman that you're walking beside to just stride ahead of her and almost tell her out of the way. Just it sort of typified his arrogance. And then of course he brought the whole family. He he freeloaded the whole family and they all got the free meal and the free dinner. You know, a bank and Jared and the whole lot. They all and it just seemed very unseemly. And it, it's funny because it's not you cannot expect American presidents really, although they are grilled on the protocol beforehand, they can't get every little thing right. But you can tell somebody's, you know, your natural grace or lack thereof becomes very clear in those mm. situations. And, yeah, and, you and that, really that, 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 that Trump behavior, just not like him, you know, maybe just not, not in the moment. He's not, never normally like that with women. So, so funny. Maybe the, maybe the moment got the best of him, Marion. We, we don't well, know. But I, Trump, Trump and women, he, he has a long history of very boorish behavior when it comes to, to dealing with yeah. women. I mean, we saw him with Angela Merkel, we oh, saw him that's with so the many, one, right? You know, he's he he's just he's just a man who, let's face it, is utterly lacking in social graces, and it becomes very clear he doesn't travel well because when he brushes up against people who are not his White House flunkies or people who you know strong men who you know who he doesn't feel at home with, he's he's very clueless and very boorish, and it was very you know he did not come across well. When he was with the Queen, and he also looked ill at ease. The the, the um, he was wearing entirely the wrong white tie outfit. It didn't even fit him, and he just looked grumpy and truculent. And and you know, it was it wasn't a successful trip. But as I say, they've all had their gaffes. So it's not just Donald Trump. But my favourite one was Gerald Ford. But the fascination uh, continues, and I think they find the Queen's stoicism, the the whole you know, don't ask, don't tell, never explain, never complain. But the the fact that she keeps her mouth shut and has done so for 70 years is, I think, also a, a subject of fascination. The only president, she met 13 American presidents, or I should say she 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 survived the, the terms of 13 American presidents, which is phenomenal when you think about it. Um, the only president who didn't meet her was Lyndon B. Johnson, and he met Princess Margaret instead. And that was another story entirely because Princess Margaret rocked on up to the White House and she was very young and very um, outgoing and exuberant and, and very beautiful at the time as well. And herself and Lyndon Johnson, by all accounts, and I think I think there is an episode of The Crown where they reflected, where the two of them got stoicious drunk together and really had a fine old time and were singing until the small hours of the morning and dancing. And apparently Johnson's wife, Lady Bird Johnson, was much less than impressed with the carry-on but there you go. So they, they all had their moments with her. But as I say, the Americans, the fascination with the, the as I say, the soap opera, the, 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 you know, the, the, the feuds, the dynasties, the scandals, the marriages. And of course, Meghan Markle, the latest tradition, who was American. Of course, Wallace Simpson, who, who you know, America even saw as really upsetting the royal apple cart when, when uh, the, the, what was his name again? 
the, the chap who abdicated. <laughs> I need to brush up on my royals uh, yeah. and, and ran off. And, and But for that, but for Wallace Simpson, I suppose, the queen would never have been the queen. You know, mm. so there, there is an interaction of, of the whole American thing. And I often think to this day that Americans would love a monarchy. I really do. I think they have such a well, fascination. I wanted to ask you about that because I just yeah. don't know. I just yeah. don't know. I think that they have their monarchy in their, they're rich and wealthy. And I just feel having left the UK in the last month and watched poverty grow in the country over the last yeah. five years. Yes. I really don't know how spending what they're about to spend on this funeral and this commemoration is going yes. to go down. And I wondered yeah. if I put it to you, how would America react when people are struggling to heat their houses to spending billions on a funeral, money that could be used to heat those houses? Well, you know, I honestly think that America would go full out with the whole pomp and circumstance. And I think that they would feel, as I said, given their, you know, they, they treat their, their, um, presidential families, like they treated the Bushes almost as akin to a monarchy. They treated the Kennedys as being like a monarchy, not so much the Clintons and mm. not so much the Obamas, but they would even, you know, the Republicans, the Bush people, the number of people I, I've spoken to who've said, oh, Ivanka Trump will make such a beautiful president, like almost as though she would be like a queen, that she would, you know, glide around on casters looking serene and mysterious and probably not doing very much at all. But I, I think that um, they they would go all out for it as well. They, you know, even when they've had beloved leaders in America, you know, and, and I thought correctly so, like John Lewis, where they would have them lying in state and there would be a huge funeral for them. And I think that the, it's a weird fusion in America, partly meritocracy, where when a leader is very beloved, they will pull out all the stops for them. Um, and, and I think that even with the Queen... I suspect that um, if it were any other member of the royal family that at this stage you had died, as you say, given the situation in England, that there would be probably more of an outcry. But I think that, and you can tell me this more than, but when I lived in London, even, you know, I, like most of my friends were hardcore punks and into punk music and all that. And there was a, a sort of an affectionate ridiculing of the Queen, but they didn't despise her. They may have despised the royals as an institution, but she was almost like everybody's grandmother. She had mm. that steady as you go sort of and the smile and the, you know, safe, like talk about a safe pair of hands. So I suspect the royals, you know, will, will um, this might be a bit of a last hurrah. I, and again, Charlotte, you would know much better than me how they will receive charms. I don't, I don't see him as, as, as being, you know, as beloved or revered as the Queen by, by the British people. But I may be wrong. I, I may not know. It's, I'm judging it almost from an American perspective. Mm, well, yeah, I'd imagine that the PR machine is what's going to have to kick in over the next year in terms of that transition. But I am, yeah. I've spoken about this in my stand-up, the humanization of the royals in situations like Meghan and Harry. And it definitely reminds you, as you say, that it is someone's granny. It is someone's mother in case yeah. you've forgotten that. But some of this coverage in the last, you know, 12 hours has been hard to watch. I mean, just the the lack of some of the things that have been said 
you're kind of watching it through your fingers at times. What has the coverage been like in the States for what you can see? I know that you're in Ireland right now. I'm in Ireland, but I've been following all the US coverage. It has been, I mean, the Washington Post, which is the political paper, and the you would think there was nothing else happening in America. The New York Times is more circumspect, but the Washington Post has eight, 10 lead stories today, all about the Queen, her influence, what's going to happen, explaining the funeral, explaining the protocol, explaining the, the um, succession process. God knows it's not that complicated. The oldest son becomes king, that's Charles. It should take two seconds to explain, but no, 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 the details are are excruciating in my view. But they they really, as I say, they they have um it's not the same. Um it's it's a fascination, stroke reverence, stroke perplexity in America about the whole thing, but they really do admire the Queen. And they really, as I say, that the the um Again, the American cable channels, you would think you were watching Sky News. There was nothing else on the news from the time the word came that there was concern about her health. They Literally, every other piece of news was shunted off the, off the, mm. the cable stations, off the front pages, and it was all about the Queen, which is astonishing when you think, as I say, that this very elderly woman who, 96, yes, she had been Queen for 70 years, but her death was not going to cause any political upheaval or any, you know, I mean, the consequence would be that her son took over, basically, who took over the firm. And so it wasn't going to have any implications for America, but you would think that she was America's queen as well. And wow. you really would. There, there was just this unquestioning, unflinching reverence about her. And, and, and I have to say the American people, you know, and like news channels don't do this out of any sense of duty. They knew it would sell. They knew people would tune in. And mm. likewise with newspapers that people have this huge appetite for knowledge about the royal family and every twist and turn in their scandals. And there was a big, you know, lot of coverage in America that Harry didn't make it. He arrived an hour late. And would the rest of the family speak to him? And Meghan didn't go. And what did that mean, et cetera, et cetera, which, of course, the Brits will be pouring over the tea leaves as well on that one. And the Americans invest a lot in, in their presidents or in some of them, and certainly in the presidential families, in the political dynasties. And I always get the sense that they miss a monarchy, that they really, if they had their way, notwithstanding that America has been very proudly a democracy and very proudly separate from England. But I think that they, as you say, they have their Kardashians, but there's Kim Kardashian out selling knickers and, you know, somebody else is out selling lipstick and they're all posing, you know, whatever. I think a lot of it for, for most Americans is more, they're fascinated by the scandal. They're fascinated yeah. by a family that lives in a goldfish bowl that's like the rest of us, that makes stupid mistakes. Well, the death of Queen Elizabeth was on the cards for a long time. But the realisation that stopped the steal was the biggest grift of all time. Well, Marion, you've been Indeed. predicting that one for the last two years. Why is it? only now being investigated. Do you know, to me, this was the most naked scam, the most shameless scam that was ever pulled on the American people. Because think about it, um, and just to put it in context for the gang out there, on November the 9th, Donald Trump set up this political action committee called Save America. Now, just, I mean, I know everybody knows what a political action committee is, but a political action committee, very quick recap, is a, a device that you can legally set up in America, which under which a political candidate can raise 
limitless like amounts of money and it is used then to there's a sort of a gossamer thin and um, veil between it and him technically as in it's supposed to be set up on his behalf but Donald Trump in this case set it up himself shamelessly and it was he said he was setting up this political action committee called Save America to stop the steal now the committee was set up on on this Save America was set up on an entirely fraudulent basis it was set up on the basis that the 2020 election was stolen that there was massive widespread fraud and that Donald Trump was the true president of the United States had been elected for a second term lawfully and that in order to get him back in the white house for a second term americans had to send in money send in as much money as they could so that he could challenge these election results in court so that he could pay for recounts in arizona and georgia and pennsylvania and all these other states and the money came flooding in because people really believed his supporters the 76 million people who voted for him or thereabouts and um, really believes that Donald Trump had won and he kept up this pretense he knew he had lost his team knew he had lost his attorney general knew he had lost everyone knew 60 different courts reminded him that he had lost and yet he kept raising money on this wholly fraudulent basis and he raised up to 250 million dollars it was a total grift now again he did not spend one one penny of that money on recounts None of it went to recants. None of it went to the court challenges. He basically pocketed the whole damn lot. The RNC, the Republican National Committee, got a cut of it as well themselves. They got about 20%. So they were in on the scam too, basically, knowingly. And um, now at the moment, there's about $100 million left in Trump's bank account from this. He spent some money, um, he spent about $4 million attacking um, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, because he wanted to get rid of him. So he gave some money to try to get rid of him in the midterms. He gave a little bit of money, you know, about 30 million went on various other things, but most of the money was pocketed by Trump. Now, at the moment, what the, um, the, the, the Department of Justice is conducting a parallel investigation into what happened on January 6th, but what it has been mostly looking at so far is the fake electors scam, who was behind this idea to send fake electors to Washington to try and get fake electors in from Georgia and Arizona and these other states to be counted by Mike Pence, which again was a total fraud on the American people. And, you know, a, a, like an appalling idea and one again dreamed up by Trump and his crazy lawyers. Now, I should say also from his Stop the Ski Steel grift, he paid lawyers like Jenna Ellis, his his um, stop the steal lawyer, he gave her some money. He gave Keith Cheeseborough, a really dodgy Wisconsin lawyer who dreamed up the fake elector scam for Wisconsin. He gave him money. So he did where he used the money. He used it. He funneled it into people who were doing illegal acts on his behalf. So the whole thing is completely rotten. Now, Ed Zolofkin, the, the January 6th committee did devote one of their, their sessions to this scam. And they noted that $250 million was raised entirely fraudulently. And they did beg the question, where is that money? Uh, so the Department of Justice, which had been investigating the fake elector scam, has now gone off on another investigative tributary, if you will. They have another prosecutor who's overlooking this. And, um, and now 
the another grand jury, which can overlap with the fake elector one, but th that is asking the, the new that the prosecutor is Amanda Wick. She's a super smart woman, former federal prosecutor. Her team is known as the green team, as in the greenback, the dollar team. They're investigating the money end of things. And so there have now been a whole load of subpoenas issued to mid-ranking people, managerial level people who were involved in this fundraising grift. And of course, it goes the whole way to Trump. So that's an entirely different line of criminal investigation at this stage to the others. But it also seems that Trump may have given about $8 million to the events company that set up the rally on January 6th. Now, if it can also be shown that Trump gave money, which was funneled to the militia groups or to the groups who deliberately arrived in uh, in Washington on January 6th with a mind to create havoc, whether, uh, you know, they, uh, I mean, it seems that there was some coordination with Steve Bannon, with Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, all those people. But if Trump's money went to fund that, if this money that he raised on a fraudulent basis then went to fund the chaos and the violence and the carnage of January 6th, that's another you know, issue that he will have to answer for, I assume, uh, to the Department of Justice and any criminal charges that may come out of their investigations. So as I've said, I have ever been able to understand how he was able to do this for over two years without anyone saying boo. It to me, it, it used to, it used yeah. to, well, he was because it was emails. so. Like you were saying, he was, he was sending the emails. You were getting them all day long. <laughs> I was getting two dozen emails a day. I was getting a dozen texts a day. And the things that they were saying to gin me up, presumably to get me angry enough to hand, you know, to fork over my money. And again, the people who were forking over money and he was looking for $25 and $45, he was targeting the low earning Americans, the MAGA base that really has very, very little money. That's, you know, either living on welfare, which a lot of them are, or have low paying jobs in rural and urban communities urban communities and the cynicism of it as well, you know, that you would target these people for their money, which they didn't have to give away on the basis of this absolute shameless lie, which they knew was a lie and, you know, and, and kept it going. And, and Save America is still going. You can still send your money in. I still get emails from them. So the whole thing is completely shameless. Absolutely. You know, why are we so surprised though? I mean, sometimes I find myself in my daily life getting upset by things. And I'm like, Jar, you know, if you were writing the script for your day, you know what these characters would do. It's so obvious that this is exactly how this man lived his life prior to taking office. Why would he change? Exactly. Yeah. You had Trump University, you had the dodgy sale, you know. Uh, Jared and, and uh, Don Jr., uh, except for the fact that Cyrus Vance decided not to charge them, they were being criminally investigated for the manner in which the fraud associated with the way they were selling um, Trump apartments down in Soho, you know, claiming that all these A-listers had bought them who had never bought them as a way to shift them when they weren't shifting at all. You know, I mean, Trump's whole life has been one of stiffing the little people, stiffing contractors. He never paid you know, small contractors who worked from, they went out of business a lot of them as a result, you know, stiffing his lawyers even who were stupid enough to keep working for him that knowing, presumably knowing that they'd never get paid. And um, he has always been about stiffing and scamming. And, you know, so as you say, why would anyone be surprised? But the blatancy of this one, sure, sure, yeah, sure, Trump sure. University was blatant as well. Oh, it's all blatant. 
But yeah. is this any different? Because if we look at, <laughs> again, we look at the history and we look at this character, he's also the master of evading justice on these things. All of he these scams been. he's got away with. Is this one any different? Can this wire and mail fraud, first of all, what is wire and mail fraud? Is that the thing that he hasn't done up to now? Or actually, is this something he's quite good at and he knows, I'll get away with this too? You know what? The Warren mail fraud has been integral to a lot of the Trump um, investigations. But in this one, it seems that it also I, I spoke to lawyers who said it could be consumer fraud. He could be he could be done for straight out consumer fraud as well as your regular criminal fraud, because a quarter of a billion dollars raised on a scam on a lie and that people are told it's going to go to something it's never going to. Steve Bannon is back up in court for doing that on a much smaller scale. Mm. Um, you know, so, and you know, the scams continue. I laugh, and I know we spoke about this, about Jared Kushner's brilliant, unmissable book. Hell of a book. Jared Kushner, you can buy that on Amazon for 10 or $12. Jared Kushner sending out emails going, for just $75, you can get it from me directly. You know, I mean, they, they, they can't stop. Jesus it's almost Christ. like they can't help themselves, you know? Yeah. And um, like, but- so but, it's, w- it's, but would it? But is it enough? Patrick got in touch during the week with a voice note on the Irish Man Abroad live line, which, of course, you can text or send us in your voice note questions for Marion at any moment. The number is in the info. He asked, what are the chances of getting Donald Trump on a lie detector? Like, what is it going to take? What hoops of fire do they have to jump through to get a conviction on something as bloody obvious as this? Well, you know, honestly, Jarlan, I don't know, because I think that what may happen here, once again, it may be a Trump University show where they plead it down to a civil, you know, a business and where they'll say, OK, they, you have to hand over. I think Trump settled the university scam for $26 million or maybe it was $40 million, but it was something relatively low anyway. But again, you know, what happened with Stormy Daniels? He was um, defendant A. You know, he are not defended. He was the co-conspirator A that was listed. Uh, his lawyer, Michael Cohen, was given a three-year jail sentence for doing something that was directed by Donald Trump, that he has admitted was directed by Donald Trump. You know, and everybody knows. So why was Donald Trump never indicted for the same thing that he directed his lawyer to do, um, that he did entirely at his behest, which was to pay off, you know, a former Playboy model and a former uh, porn actress you know, to to make to pay them off, to keep them quiet, or to lie about having had um, affairs with him. So he's gotten away. He's skated on that one. Apparently, there are so many more. And um, as I say, in uh, several times, even Alvin Blag, the Bragg, the New York um, District Attorney for Manhattan, the fact that he has dropped the case of the fraud, the the insurance fraud, the bank fraud, the mail wire fraud, the whole fraud thing, the criminal fraud surrounding the Trump organization. There is still a civil investigation ongoing, but that was dropped when there was there were so many grounds for a criminal investigation that the prosecutors who were investigating it resigned in protest. So you wonder, it's it's a fair question to ask, will Donald Trump ever really be brought to justice? Will it be? I've always thought that the, the investigation in Atlanta, the investigation that's going on by Fannie Willis into the fact that he phoned up uh, Brad Raffensperger, who was the Secretary of State for Georgia, and basically said to him, 
find me 11,800 votes and find it and find it and, you know, harangued him for an hour. And then towards the end of the conversation, more or less said, you know, implied there could be a criminal investigation into Raffensperger if he didn't do a criminal act at Trump's behest. So I think that there could be liability there. I think that she is very steadily and very quietly making a lot of trouble for Trump, for Giuliani, for Lindsey Graham, and all those cohorts who were involved in in trying to illegally, in a way that was unprecedented, flip Georgia to Trump's column. Um, So I think that that could be one. Hmm. Um, We'll see what comes out of uh, the classified documents. Um, It seems even Bill Barr, you know, who's now furiously rehabilitating and and laundering, uh, you know, he's, he's putting his his reputation, he's trying to scrub it clean after the grubbing stains that were on it from four years or three years of kowtowing to Trump. And he's even said, look, the Department of Justice, clearly, you know, this change has enough for a criminal investigation into the the theft, which it was a theft of classified documents, because it is theft when you take something that isn't yours and you have no intention of returning it. And I think we can see from all the evidence and from the lying and the false subpoenas et cetera, et cetera, and the false statements that Trump had no intention of returning those classified documents that were so top secret that even the officials that found them weren't allowed to look at them. Uh, so, you know, there could be some criminal liability there and we'll see what happens with this one. Uh, I, it, You know, it's a long road and I think, again, it strikes me there isn't a lot of stomach to criminally indict Trump on anything because people are afraid. And by people, I mean people in the Department of Justice and people in the White House and people in Congress are very powerful people are afraid of what it could kickstart of the, you know, that it could kickstart violence on a national level. And Trump has warned of this, as has Lindsey Graham. And it really is a veiled warning. And it's a threat more than a warning, I think, that um, if Trump is, is ever you know, indicted that that he he would be um it, it would just unleash uh, yeah there could be a call to arms yeah there's not but to me that's no excuse and I've said no. it so many times that is the very reason that you should show that nobody is above the law you know well the, 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 uh, it's always the small stuff Marion that's always what I think uh, is uh, wasn't it Albert Reynolds who said that it's the little uh, things it's that, the little things I don't it's think like here's this week uh, billion dollars is not, a little thing at all <laughs> no but it, but in the same way as Conor McGregor being called up for all these traffic offences over that's here right. yeah. you know the, there's certain aspects to uh, justice and the law that are inescapable for us all and actually selling something that you claim is one thing and is not that thing. I mean, it's pretty basic, but yep. that's exactly what he's done. And there's kind of, it's absolutely unavoidable. Who knows? But the threat of violence was in the air this week in America. And Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis was arrested on suspicion of murder Wednesday evening in the fatal stabbing of a Las Vegas Review Journal reporter. Jeff German, whose investigation of the politician contributed to his primary election loss in June. I'm going to talk to Marion about this very interesting story over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad, where every week we go over for a further deep dive. If you really like this show, that's where you need to listen to it, because Marion gets to go in a little bit deeper into these stories, gives us a bit more space and time, and you also get access to the full Irishman Abroad back catalogue 
hundreds and hundreds of interviews and episodes, spin-off series and all the rest of it for a fiver a month on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. Even without the challenges of the last two years, raising your kids not to be gobshites is exceptionally hard. I don't know anyone who doesn't need a little bit of help. I don't know anyone who wouldn't feel a little bit better hearing what other people are dealing with. So here we are. The first ever episode of Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid, the parenting podcast from an Irishman abroad. This is a place where you get to anonymously submit your parenting problems and we will do our level best to answer them with the help of our resident child development expert, Tina Regan. You know when your child is lying. How do you get them to be honest without sharing them with all the Catholic guilt we were raised with? (laughs) I mean, what an effective tool that really was. Oh God, yeah, the ever-watching eye. I mean, these kids are not afraid of us. (laughs) If they're displaying behaviours, there is a struggle there that we need to take a minute and watch and see okay what is behind that story what's behind that behavior i think children can feel pretty uncomfortable when they're doing their poops so mm. they want to do it where they feel the most comfortable and that is home they're maybe holding onto their mom's hand who knows and you know if they're not that's how i like to put well i mean holding onto my mother's hand <laughs> <laughs> here's what i wish people would tell you when you're going to have a baby about sleep you're not going to get sleep until that child is at school. Stop seeking the sleep that's not going to come to you. Yeah, but I try to think what you were saying is, don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's okay to parent your child. If your child's on the ground having a tantrum, pick them up like a rugby ball and keep going. Subscribe now to Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid, the Zero Judgment Parenting Podcast. New episodes available for free every Monday on the Go Loud app and all podcast platforms. It's okay to admit that it's hard to raise your kids not to be gobshites. Email honeyyourruiningourkid at gmail.com with your questions and let Tina help. Anonymity guaranteed.